Life is like a box of chocolates. At least that's what life is according to Forrest Gump, arguably one of the most recognizable movie characters of the last 50 years. Portrayed by Tom Hanks, Gump is an early 90s icon, a character whose simplistic worldview is juxtaposed against the backdrop of American history, namely around the story of America's tumultuous 60s, where cultural, societal, and racial divides plagued the country even as it found itself in the thralls of a foreign war. Forrest Gump in many ways represents that innocent and boyish perspective we carry through much of our childhood, only to see that same perspective get crushed, flattened, and reshaped as we get older. Yet in Gump's case, he never loses his. In a world gone mad, Forrest maintains that innocent, if not simple, outlook on life in spite of all the chaos that's swirling around him. And it's his genuine nature, brought about due to his mental incapacities, that makes Forrest such a lovable character. To the people he encounters throughout the film and the ones sitting back enjoying the film. By being somewhat unaffected by bullies, even lost love and war, Forrest shows that one can somehow weather the storm of grown-up life, maintaining that authentic character throughout. And this is the real kicker of the whole story. Forrest is not really up against any specific villain. His low IQ could be considered his Achilles heel, but in the end, it's more like his saving grace. So what exactly is Forrest up against in this pseudo-documentary of the 20th century American experience? What ails our hero that he must fight against? Well, it's the world, of course. This crazy, messed up, sometimes beautiful, but treacherous and dangerous world. And that's the topic of today's episode. Welcome to The Writer's Lens. I'm Josh J.C. Alfelto, and this is Forrest Gump and When the World is Our Villain. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I know it's been a bit of a time. I apologize, but there's a slight echo in this. I'm doing a recording in a, in a different space of my home uh, this time around, so I apologize if there's a little bit of a something in the background. So we'll just we'll just get through that regardless. But but Forrest Gump is is a is a film that to me is a treasure of American cinema, and I've really been wanting to do an episode about Forrest Gump for a while. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful movie, and it's a it's a throwback to the days when franchises were not really necessary in order to make a good movie in Hollywood. Uh, they would simply put as much as they could into a single film, and then voila, we'd have a good or a bad movie. And Gump is one of those uh, examples. It, it's to me one of the greatest films the last thirty to maybe fifty years. And you know, although I could spend a whole episode on explaining why, we'll dispense with that and just kind of move into the topic, but also get into some background here first about the film itself, you know, because I, I like to do that. I like to have a little bit of foundation here before we start picking things apart. So so here we go. So Forrest Gump was actually based upon a book, and I didn't really know this until I, I started researching uh, the, the film for this episode. I, I honestly did not, uh, sad to say, but it was, it was written by a guy named uh, Winston Groom uh, with a book of the same name, that tells a very similar tale to the one that we got on the big screen. As, as you all know, many times the translation from book to movie or um, physical depiction of the book can sometimes have some changes and differences in it. This one uh, is uh, no different. Uh, for instance, Forrest's mother and his wife do not die in the novel, while we see that uh, happening in the film as well. Apparently, Forrest gets shot into space at some point in the book, I, which I was reading about on... Wikipedia, which I thought was kind of interesting. I thought that would have been kind of cool if they would have had that scene looking back, but whatever, you know, it's not a huge deal. Uh, but again, 
This is one of my major complaints about Hollywood that I want to throw in there before we before we move on to the next phase of this episode is like, hey, Hollywood, do not be afraid to base your next movie off a book. That coming from an author like myself or a writer, don't be afraid of it. Uh, you don't have to keep rehashing old franchises. You don't have to keep rehashing the same old thing. Look to some books. Go to bookshelves, especially older books. They got some good stories in there. So just just try it. Just just try it, Hollywood. Just, just give it a whirl. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so moving on. Forrest Gump, the film, had a massive impact on Hollywood and our culture. Uh, I mean, it was a movie that really explored that really turbulent second half of what was an already bloody and confusing uh, century in the 1900s. And it did it through the eyes of what some would call a dimwit or even a stupid person. Uh, In fact, uh, one of the most prevalent lines, I think, in the film was a question that would often get directed at Forrest by the ones he encountered when they would say things like, well, you know, are you stupid or something? And this question was often predicated by a situation where Forrest was doing something out of the ordinary, you know, like he was buying a shrimp boat or uh, when he innocently came to Bubba's family's house to meet to meet the family, you know, right in the middle of the culturally divided South so he could purchase a shrimp boat just like he and Bubba had planned to do while they were in Vietnam together. And if you've seen the film or you've even read the book, you would know that Bubba passes while he's in Vietnam. He gets shot and killed. Uh, so Forrest decides to keep the promise, though, and, and goes and buys the shrimp boat. But Forrest would always reply, stupid is as stupid does, uh, which is an answer that seems simultaneously strange and almost disarming at the same time. Because we would expect someone to answer yes or no to that question. Are you stupid or something? But Forrest turns the question on its head by saying something a little more ambiguous with stupid is as stupid does, which tends to end end the conversation. And it's always a little bit of a sort of little laugh for the audience when they when they see him say that because you know Tom Hanks would deliver it in sort of that deadpan stupid is a stupid does sir you know you give this kind of almost simplistic answer uh, but it was almost as if Forrest was he was just basically upending the situation on the ones accusing him of being stupid uh, you know and this was a this is a popular tactic that was used by another prominent figure who was loads smarter than Forrest, at least in terms of IQ, I would say, and that person was the the person of Jesus Christ, who, instead of giving what would be considered a normative response to a question, uh, Jesus would often respond to people who would accost him with a question of his own, which was meant to search the other person. It was meant to search out that person's heart and their intentions, their motivations for why they would even ask the question. Uh, So Forrest, in, in some ways, turns it around to make the asker reconsider what it is they're truly asking. Because think of it this way. if And again, I I'm, I'm promise you this is pertinent to the, to the idea of the world because we're getting there. I'm just, again, like I said, laying some foundation for everybody. If Forrest were to answer yes, the person asking the question might feel justified and affirmed. And they might think, you know, I am dealing with a moron. This guy's doing some really ridiculous things. And therefore, they could then behave and treat Forrest accordingly as though he is less than average in his IQ. If Forrest were to answer no, are you stupid or something, then the person might become more skeptical of the situation in Forrest and thus maybe make the other person question whether they have just asked an offensive question. And it could set them a little bit uncomfortable with dealing with Forrest. But by giving this response of, you know, stupid is as stupid does, Forrest is really instead implying something that we all know. It's the fact that people can act stupidly. They can even be viewed as stupid by some. But in reality, what they're doing could be a great decision. You know, it could be something a little bit off the wall, 
It could be un you know unconventional or even unorthodox, but in the end, it could be beneficial in some way. And as I've said before, this goes against the grain of what we would expect from others because deep down we know people to be inherently selfish and self-serving. We know this is true. Okay, So whenever we're faced with a situation where someone does something almost out of the vibe of conventional living, we're, we're really taken aback by this. We don't know what to do with that circumstance, so we almost recoil and we ask ourselves, if not the other person, like, are you stupid or something? Like, why would you do this? Right? This this makes no sense. Like conventional wisdom would say, don't do this. Now, okay, we may not say that to their face, but we might think it. You know, we might even act it out in some way. And like I said, this, this is a fact of human nature. And it's the reason why, the, or the reason why it's a fact of human nature is because of our selfish intentions. So as we go through life trying to make sense of it, trying to establish some measure of meaning for ourselves, in doing so, we feed that selfish, innate system that we have in each of us. So again, if we're confronted with someone as innocent or as foolish like Forrest Gump, we take pause. You know, we're almost concerned about their intentions. We're not sure what to make of this person. And, uh, you know, in many ways, it, it, it can feel like this is the real villain of Forrest's story. You know, it's human nature. Or as, as uh, John Eldridge, I think, has put it really well when he talks about the world, you know, when we say the world is against us or the world is a problem, which again, as I said, is the true villain of uh, Forrest Gump's story is, is this human nature uh, cosm or, or macrocosm of human nature, which is called the world. It's, again, I'm going to paraphrase from John, but he said it's, it's like the accumulation of sin moving forward through time a.k.a. the world. And this is the paramount illustration throughout this whole story, throughout the whole film. Gump is a simple guy. He has no agenda other than to be of service and to be loved and to be accepted by others. Yet, as you know from watching the film, Gump never takes the approach that he is somehow disabled, right? Like, you know, everyone else around him is saying, you know, are you stupid or something? But he never really kind of sees himself that way. Uh, they may belittle him, you know, they may speak poorly of him. They may, they literally throw stones at him in, in one particular scene, which I think is a very interesting uh, parallel to uh, some other biblical things that I, I could get into in this episode. I didn't plan on it, so we'll see how this goes. But he never, and again, this is Forrest speaking, he never lets those things affect his goals or even his demeanor towards everyone else. You know, he's almost like this pillar, a rock that cannot be shaken. And this holds true as the movie progresses forward. Because again, we're, we're moving into the unstable cultural landscape of the 1960s and 1970s, which uh, coincidentally in some way is being reinvigorated today, uh, but with new agendas and even uh, maybe different motivations, I'd say, at this point. Um, but that could be, again, probably for my other podcast, Narrative Wars. So let's, let's stay focused here on, on Mr. Gump. So... Uh, this is, again, one of the hallmarks of the story. Gump is, is living a life in the midst of chaos, and that chaos is the world. It's the human beings behaving badly, behaving selfishly, behaving in their own interests. Not everyone, of course. And Gump is somehow immune to getting caught up in it, even being affected by it. Now, for those who have watched the film, Gump is in love with... Uh, I keep calling him Gump. I feel like I should call him Forrest or something. Okay, so Forrest is in love with his... His childhood classmate, Jenny, you know, she's the apple of his eye. You know, she's the beacon of beauty and grace and elegance and, you know, one of the only people who would give him time of day in his youth. 
uh, again, due to his slightly less than average mental, uh, or mental faculties. But that's also Forrest's version of her, the one that exists in his head, you know, all the, all the really nice and you know, pretty things I mentioned. Yet as you're watching this film and you're seeing it play out, how is Jenny really, from the context that we see her, who is she really in the story? Okay, she is, for lack of a better word, just a bit of a floozy. <laughs> if, that's, if that's saying it lightly, I would say. Um, she's she's a very loose woman, okay? you know I wouldn't say liberated at all. I would say she's incredibly broken, distraught, full of despair. Uh, her life literally revolves around sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, but in Forrest's eyes, you know, she's an angel. And he maintains this pursuit of her in light of all of her shortcomings and her personality flaws because he has this vision of her that he sees in Jenny for whatever reason. Uh, even though, again, like I said, she goes through all of these sort of sort of crazy relationships, the drugs, and and uh, it's it's very clear. I think at one point she hops onto some philosophies that are pretty broken. Um, this is very interesting to me because it's, it, to me it's kind of like God's pursuit of broken people, you know, trimmed down between two human beings in the story, you know, Forrest Gump and, and Jenny. Um, there's, there's even this really sweet scene, and I, and I don't mean super or nice when I say that, but it's, it's a really unique scene where Forrest comes to Jenny's aid. Uh, even as she's being accosted, uh, he still is trying to save her. Uh, and when he saves her, she's still mad at him, you know, and she tries to run away from him. Uh, you know, she tells him that he can't keep doing this to her. You can't keep trying to rescue me all the time. Uh, he, he even goes on to tell her that, you know, he loves her at one point, and this is a little bit further down the story, to which she says, hey, you don't even know what love is. Which, if you're following along at home, is totally backwards, right? This is coming from the person who was performing a song nude for money. Again, Jenny, not Forrest. She was performing a song nude for money while she has beer being thrown at her by men uh, who are only there to see her nude. They don't care about the song. I mean, anybody could watch the, the movie and you know figure that one out. Yet, Forrest shows up to defend her. In spite of of all that, I mean, there's even uh, later on. There's a scene where she's she becomes part of I think the Black Panther Party at one point, and she gets slapped across the face by this guy that she's dating, and Forrest jumps across the room and just starts beating the tar out of this guy in the middle, you know, in the middle of the room. And and there's Jenny defending this dude who who slapped her, and she even leaves with him to go with him on a bus ride, you know, across wherever they're going, you know, cross country and Forrest has to stay behind. I mean, it's so bizarre that Jenny would turn to Forrest and say, look, you don't know what love is. Who's the one who actually has the proper idea about love here? I would say it's Forrest. You know, I would say it's Forrest. But again, this is how the world as a villain gets people. You know, we, we start out as selfish creatures and if we continue to learn to indulge our selfishness, then we can ignite a string of selfish actions down the road. We, you know, we pursue things selfishly, which is the antithesis of that supreme ethic that Jenny just doesn't understand, but Forrest knows almost innately, which is, which is love. Now we'll get back to Jenny in a moment, um, but I want to focus on another character in the story, Benjamin Buford Bubba Blue. All right, the four Bs and a little bit of alliteration for that name. Uh, another famous character from this film. But before we do that, I just want to play a short clip uh, with with uh, Bubba and Forrest together because I, I just I love the interactions of these two characters. So I want I want to play that real quick here. 
first, it seemed like I made a mistake, seeing how it was only my induction day, and I was already getting yelled at. Sit down if you want to. I didn't know who I might meet or what they might ask. You ever been on a real shrimp boat? No, but I've been on a real big boat. I'm talking about a shrimp catching boat. I've been working on shrimp boats all my life. I started out on my uncle's boat, that's my mama's brother, when I was about maybe nine. I was just looking into buying a boat of my own and got drafted. My given name is Benjamin Buford Blue. People call me Bubba. It's like one of them old redneck boys. Can you believe that? My name's Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. So Bubba was from Biola Battery, Alabama, and his mama cooked shrimp. So Forrest meets Bubba during his deployment in the Army to fight in Vietnam. And first and foremost, Bubba is black and Forrest is white. But these two develop a really close friendship um, during their time in the service. And as I will remind everyone again, this was during the very tumultuous time of the 60s where friendships like this could happen, but there was, a, there was often underlying tension that could come with it. And that's, that's really... In, you know, in some ways it's in the background during the story. Sometimes it's not as it was overtly in the background. But, uh, but this interesting paradox of Forrest and Bubba becoming good friends, you know, a white man and a black man during the civil rights movement, again, is significant. Uh, Bubba and Forrest overcome all this, and through their friendship, they look out for one another. You know, there's a scene where it says, hey, Forrest, you lean up against me, and that way we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. And Forrest is like, okay, Bubba, you know, it's this sort of simple, like, I look out for you, you look out for me, it doesn't matter what color skin we are. Uh, again, the, the, this movie is so good at just pointing out just basic fundamentals of just, this, just the, the civility of handling a person with respect. And Forrest encounters this and goes right into it with no agenda. He's just like, okay, Bubba, right? <laughs> again, just, again, just behaving naturally as, as Forrest would. Now, un unfortunately, Bubba is shot and killed in Vietnam. Spoiler alert. Uh, but he does deliver some, some really, really strong lines uh, that, that get to me you know, every time I hear them as he's, as he's uh, dying there in Forrest's arms uh, after he's been shot. And he looks at Forrest and he, and he just asks this question. He, said, he goes, why, why did this happen? To which Forrest simply says, you got shot which is technically the correct response, but Bubba's question is deeper than that. He's asking almost an existential question about the events that led up to this moment where he finds himself unable to get out of it. He's been shot by something, which then leads to an even more heart-wrenching moment when Bubba says, I, I want to go home. You know, I just, I just want to go home. And then after that, he, he dies in, in Forrest's arms. Forrest recounts all these things that Bubba was going to be immediately after that. He says, you know, Bubba was going to be a, a shrimp boat captain. You know, uh, he was going to do all these different things. But instead, his life is taken prematurely during the war in Vietnam. And this is, again, another example of the world in some way becoming this enemy of perhaps good things. Like Bubba wanted to be a shrimp boat captain, and that's a really good thing. He wanted to you know, provide for his family. You know, my family knows everything there is to know about the shrimping business. You know, that's a, another popular line from the film. 
but again, because of war, because of strife, because of you know greed, even or perhaps selfishness, or or you know regimes and people making decisions for power and influence, none of this is going to happen. None of this will happen now because of what has transpired in Vietnam. And I th again, I think those questions that Bubba asks, they're not directed at any one person, but rather, again, like I said, almost like a philosophical question, like why did this happen? I don't understand why this would possibly happen to me. And then, and then of course, that really sad moment where he says, I just want to go home, uh, represents that desire like, hey, I, I don't want to be stuck in this foreign space where people are just ugly to each other. I want to go, go back to where I am, where I'm loved, I'm cared for, I'm accepted, etc. Uh, again, very powerful moment in the, in the film. And Bubba runs parallel to another titular character, which is Lieutenant Dan. Now, I promise we'll get back to Jenny in a moment. Lieutenant Dan <laughs> was supposed to die with honor during the battle in Vietnam, but instead, Force saves him. So again, Bubba wanted to live, dies. Lieutenant Dan wanted to die, but he lives. And thus, Dan becomes uh, a cripple. You know, he has his legs chopped off from the knees down. And he blames Forrest for this, as his personal destiny, according to him, was to die in combat, much like his predecessors, his other family members that all died in combat. And I see this, now Lieutenant Dan's story, as opposed to Bubba's, I see this as being a very relatable thing for each and every person, because we all believe we have a destiny of some kind, even if we don't say it out loud. We have something that we are looking at the horizon and we're saying, I want to get to that point, right? I, and, and if we don't, if we don't have a horizon that we're going towards, we ultimately are letting others decide that destiny for us. I, I heard a great podcast on this from Jeff Goins, who's another writer, and he was talking about identity, about how if we don't work to establish identity for ourselves, other people will gladly give us identities. Hey, you're not big enough for this. Hey, you're too... You're too small. You can't do anything. Hey, you're, you're not well-equipped for this. Hey, you're kind of girlish in these ways, or you're kind of boyish in these ways, or you, you don't really have what it takes to do these things. Or someone might try to build you up in something else that maybe you don't really want. Okay? I, we kind of have a lot of that in our culture right now where we're trying to affirm things for people that may not be what they want at all. Uh, and we can unpack that a bit, but again, I don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole there. But... Uh, but this is, I think, relatable for all people, is that we, we inherently believe we have some kind of destiny that we're headed towards. And Dan, Lieutenant Dan, feels robbed of this. You know, he try, And then immediately he tries to lay the blame on Forrest. He looks, look, like I didn't ask you to save my life. I didn't ask you to do any of those things for me. Forrest is somewhat unaffected by, you know, Lieutenant Dan's accusations. He even says to him, you know, he's, uh, he proclaims to Forrest, you know, I was... Lieutenant Dan Taylor. I believe that's what his last name is. I'll have to go back and watch the clip. But he, you know, I was Lieutenant Dan Taylor. You did this to me, Forrest. You know, that's who I was. And Forrest again says, in very simple terms, you still Lieutenant Dan. Like, powerful line. But Dan, again, is upset about this. Lieutenant Dan's still upset. You know, to him, his life is over. He has no idea what he's going to do with himself. He looks at Forrest. He says, look at me. You know, what, what am I going to do now? You know, now that he's a survivor and that he's a, he's a cripple, he's had his legs taken from him. What is he going to do with his life? He has no clue. Now, their relationship, Dan, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest, takes a lot of interesting turns for a while, with both of them being friends for a bit and like part ways. And Forrest goes off to fill, fulfill the promise to Baba and become a strip boat captain. At which point, Lieutenant Dan returns to the story, as it was a promise he made to Forrest to do so. 
that if he was ever a shrimpo captain, that he would be his first mate. And somehow this this happens, and you know, again, kickstarts another part of the story where Dan and Forrest end up becoming buddies in the shrimp, you know, shrimp boat uh, or shrimping business. Now, before they become super successful for Bubba Gump Shrimp, as Dan, I can't just call him Dan. I gotta call him Lieutenant Dan. I'm sorry. As Lieutenant Dan starts to see the life that Forrest is making as a shrimp boat captain, and the shrimp come in. Okay, and again, this is after uh, there's sort of a spiritual moment where, where Forrest is asking God for help, and then God shows up, and all these things begin to happen. Shrimp just starts to pile in after all the other shrimp boats were eliminated in a, in a storm. Uh, Dan, Lieutenant Dan, again, I almost did it. I have to call him Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan is sitting on the edge of the boat, and in this really nice scene, I will say sweet as in terms of nice this time, he tells Forrest, he goes, you know, Forrest, I, I never actually thanked you for saving my life. And Forrest even later laments by saying, he never actually said it, but I think he made his peace with God. Which again, points to the reality of Lieutenant Dan's position in life. He lashed out at Forrest for being the one for saving him, but in reality, he had this issue with God to begin with. Like, God, this was my destiny. I was supposed to die on the on the battlefield of Vietnam, and I was supposed to do all these different things there, and and I this was this is who I am, this is my identity. And Forrest played a role in completely uh, turning that over and saying, look, that's not really what your destiny is. I've actually intervened. I've given you more life. Again, it sounds like a very interesting figure in biblical history. <laughs> I've given you more life, and now you have it abundantly, even though you may not have your legs from the knees down, but you do have a lot now to be thankful for. So this is an amazing moment in the in the film because what Lieutenant Dan discovers is that you know his self-appointed destiny was just never to be. You know, it was something else. It was to do these different things with, with Forrest as a as a shrimp boat captain. And as we find out at the end of the story, uh, he actually ends up getting married to what appears to be a Vietnamese woman, which again is the most. I don't know if it's supposed to be coincidental or ironic or anything, but, but man, what a what a turn of events for him. Uh, so let's get back to Jenny here. Let's let's get back to Jenny as we start to pull this in for a landing. I think. After slowing her life down, you know, she finally succumbs to Forrest. She comes home. She, you know, she she then decides she needs to make peace with her past. You know, she needs to figure out the root of all her issues. She ends up throwing some stones at her old dad's place, to which we know by now in the story was a place of, of hate and shame and lots of abuse. Uh, for if we go back to the beginning of the story, there's a scene where she's running away in a field behind her house to escape her dad with Forrest, and as he's running through the fields, he's, he's shown holding a, a bottle of alcohol, uh, implying and inferring that Jenny would often be the focus of this guy's tirades when he would get drunk. Very familiar story for a lot of kids uh, who grew up in the 50s and 60s, or even before that. You know, uh, fathers, even mothers, would bury sadness at the bottom of a bottle and then would lash out at the people around them that they cared about the most. Um, so there were many things that were happening in Jenny's early life that probably caused her to derail and think, you know, I'm not worth anything. I'm, I, I have a lot of shame in my life. I have a lot of guilt in my life. This is my identity. I mean, how many of us have dealt with 
the pain of a lost loved one or an abusive relationship or a horrible upbringing, you know, an unruly household or an authority figure. Whenever trust gets broken in the most intimate of spaces, we start to put up barriers. But even, even more so, we develop identities to cope with those broken parts of ourselves. You know, Jenny's throwing stones. Again, this throwing stones thing is such a powerful image in this film. I just, I, I love it. She's throwing stones at the home where her dad and her lived growing up. And she's still angry about it. And so she's throwing stones. And this is therapeutic, of course. Uh, but it eventually ends with her falling to the ground, just kind of in anguish as though like, man, how could you have done this to me? You know, I, I was your little girl. You were supposed to protect me. All those emotions you can see just boiling to the surface. And then Forrest declares as he's staying there with her, he sits down next to her just to be with her. And he says, at least in the narration, he says, you know, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. And this is such a brilliant line because it's this simple way of explaining how, you know, she'd keep throwing them if she could, but no number of rocks was ever going to make up for the past sins of her father against her. And ultimately, she can't change it anyway. You know, she must recognize that part of her life wasn't her fault. But this is what the world will crush us with, right? Like, this is what the world crushes us with are these ideas that we're not, we can't measure up because of some uh, broken relationship or abusive situation or, or any of those or any of the above. And so this accumulation of bad things just heap on top of us and we carry this as a burden with us. And then in order to deal with it, cope with it, we, you know, we, we lash out selfishly. It's almost this perpetual cycle, right? And as Forrest points out, I guess sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Point being, you're never going to have enough rocks to physically throw at that, at that house. I mean, she could burn it down, raise it up again, burn it down again. It could be therapeutic for her, but is that ultimately going to be the answer to this deeply rooted issue of broken trust, broken promises from her father? Uh, no, you know, it, it's not going to. It's going to have to be something bigger. It's going to have to be forgiveness. It's going to have to be uh, peace of mind, peace of self. In many ways, uh, you know, how Lieutenant Dan had to make peace with God. We're all seeking to make peace with God in some sense. Again, this is my interjection of my worldview, being a Christian. We all have to make peace with, with God, with our Creator. We have to make peace with Him or else we're always going to be attaching ourselves to these things and lashing out selfishly, attaching ourselves to these, whatever they are, philosophies, movements, ideas. Uh, and some of them could be good. Okay, I'm not going to lash out at every movement and philosophy that's out there that doesn't have Jesus on the sleeve, but we do have to make peace with God. We do have to figure out how to do that. Now, of course, one night, Forrest asks her to marry him. She declines. You know, she says, you don't want to marry me. But Forrest rebukes her again, standing up for himself. You know, he says, you know, I'm not a smart man, but I do know what love is. And this is, I think, the turning point for Jenny as she realizes how much Forrest has pursued her and loved her from, from the beginning. But... What does someone like Jenny do? Well, she sleeps with them. She gets pregnant, runs off. Uh, she's still got a lot of problems to deal with, apparently. <laughs> um, it's a little more self-discovery to go there. But as as you know from the film, again, I'm not trying to rehash the whole thing, but uh, you know, he ends up meeting up with her, and they get married anyway, and Forrest finds out that he has a son. Okay, and this is you know kind of like the climax of the film, that you know he's going to marry Jenny, and... Uh, he has a son now that he's going to be responsible for and care for him. And again, one of the most beautiful scenes in the film is when Forrest 
legitimately is asking Jenny, is he smart or is he like me? You know, is he a smart kid or is he like me? And I just saw that so beautiful. I mean, I'm almost like crying just thinking about it when he asked this question. Because being a dad, when you look at your own kids, you want what's best for them, right? Like you look at your own children and you say, wow, this is the most precious gift I have. This is my most guarded treasure that I have on this this earth. If I, For those of you who are blessed to have kids or for those who are looking to have children someday, uh, get married first, okay? Get married first and then have children. That's the first thing I want to say. But looking at your children, you just go, man, are... Are they better than me? Are my kids better than me? I want them to be better than me. I don't want them to be as affected by the world, maybe, that I was. I want them to rise above it in some sense. And I think that's what the great hope is for any person that has children, is that we want our kids to overcome the obstacles that we faced. Not so much that we just want to give them things that are not going to test them or put them through trials or have challenges. Those are going to come regardless but we do want our kids to, in some way, uh, succeed us even better. You know, they, we want them to do better. And, and, in, and one of the ways they do that is overcoming the world. They overcome the world that can crush them through, you know, selfishness, self-righteousness, self-preservation, all these kinds of things. And again, I just, I look at this film as, as dealing with these themes in all the right ways. Dealing with these these themes of loss, these themes of guilt and shame and self-discovery and identity, this movie does it all. Because all of those things, when we, we compile them together into one big pot, is about this issue of the world and how the world will be a villain against us as we're fighting for identity, as we're fighting for meaning, as we're fighting for purpose. All of these things end up becoming part of the world trying to crush us. So Forrest Gump's pursuit you know, his life does not ignore the trials and imperfections of the world, but rather, you know, through his unwavering perspective, he is unaffected by the wrongs of the world at a core level. His foundation stays the same while everything around him is swirling. Uh, you know, it's, it's that simplicity plus strength that needs to be said here because I think that what some people could take away from this film is, look, Forrest is a simpleton. He's born with sort of natural law on his heart, on his mind, and that's all he needs. You know, he's never going to be anything bigger than that. But look at the impact he has. You know, he's a world-class ping-pong champion, saves the lives of many men during the Vietnam War. He saves Dan's, Lieutenant Dan, man, I did it again. He saves Lieutenant Dan's life during the war. He starts a multi-million dollar business called Bubba Gum Shrimp. He does all these amazing things. He's not just a mere simpleton. He has strength. He has strength of character. He has strength of of moral foundation. He's not just some buffoon, which again, coming back to our original question that was posed by a lot of the people that run into him, are you stupid or something? Like, are you just, are you stupid or something? What a profound question to be asking this guy, to be asking Forrest Gump, who if you were to see all the deeds, if you were to see all the things that he's been a part of and impacted, again, one of my my favorite scenes is when he rubs his, his muddied face on a yellow t-shirt for a guy who's looking to start a business and ends up becoming the smiley face slogan. <laughs> uh, look at all the things he's done. He's not just some, you know, layman. Okay, he's a guy with strength and he brings strength into these situations. He brings strength to people who have none. He brings strength to the folks who thought they were on very strong ground. 
but we're not. And they get exposed. And this is the other beautiful thing I think about, not just Forrest Gump, but I think about anyone that has firm foundations of faith. And again, I, I would speak again from a Christian perspective, is that often you run into people who become, uh, I don't think wary is the right word, but they become affected by your foundation. You know, if your foundations of faith are strong, if your foundations of conviction and belief are strong, it will convict other people in their spirit just by engaging with you, which is why they get the question, are you stupid or something? Or, you know, the, the questions of what am I supposed to do with my life? You know, who are you? You don't know what love is. These are just accusations that are coming out of a place of self-preservation and self-righteousness. You don't know what love is. You don't want to marry someone like me. You don't want to be with a person like me. I'm, you know, self-defeating comments, self-destructive comments coming from that self-perspective. And here's Forrest who enters into the conversation with none of that stuff. You know, he's just like, you know, here I am. Here are the things that I stand for. Here's what I am convicted of. I don't let the world affect me in the way that it might have affected you. And I'm not here to condemn you for it, but rather to make you just see, you know, maybe there could be a better life for you in some sense. So, so again, I, I, I love this film. It's one of my top 10, if not in my top five. It might not be in my top five, but it's definitely in my top 10. Just beautiful, beautiful story. And I'm really hopeful that as we move forward, I mean, it's 2020 right now. We've got a lot of crazy cultural, political strife going on. One of the things that authors, writers have at their disposal is an imagination and illustration. And I just think that this is a time where people with the ability to create really good illustrations of good things, good principles, transcendent principles, kind of like what we see here in Forrest Gump, can be replicated. They can be recreated over and over again to try and give people back some hope. Because otherwise, we're going to start putting our hope in a lot of things that we shouldn't be in. And again, I, I, I just see this film being a great testament to that as we walk through some some pretty rough rough times ahead. But anyway... That's uh, that's my episode on Forrest Gump and the world as our villain. Uh, there was a few other things that I wanted to get into with this episode, but I think we've pretty much hit the nail on the head with it. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, sorry I've been kind of out of the loop for a bit here on the writer's lens. I've been doing some other stuff with the narrative wars and you know trying to write and all other kinds of things. But but I'm still here, still live, still kicking. Again, hit me up if you guys have any suggestions for films, books shows, stories you'd want me to analyze or themes, you can reach me on Facebook at JCL Felto uh, or come to my website, jclfelto.com. There's a connect with me button on there on my website. It's always good to go on there and shoot me a note and just let me know what you think. But in the meantime, like, share, subscribe, share with somebody you think might find the, uh, uh, the content to be interesting and we'll always just go from there. So until next time, guys, this is Josh JCL Felto for The Writer's Lens.